0: In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure, cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, that's LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. So step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony, and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. So join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org bigclimb. Welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer, Jason Stark. And then the robot
1: said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of
2: Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Gladwell.
1: Mike Chard is coffee at
3: Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Jason Stark <laughs> is against humanity. Take away the human <laughs> elements of Starkville. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs>
2: Dear
0: readings, and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the athletic, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and voice of reason, Doug Glanville. Uh, Doug... I'm so grateful this week that we'll be visited by the manager of the Angels, Joe Madden, because Joe's a man with so much perspective, and we need that perspective. But Doug, uh, I've known you a long time. You're also a man of perspective. So I want to start today's show by asking for some of that perspective, because America is smoldering today, literally. So tell us what you're seeing and what you're feeling.
3: Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think the best word is highly conflicted. Um, you know, concerned, of course. But uh, I know we're in the thick of a pandemic on top of uh, the social unrest, and and uh, I, I think through the lens of what we talk about every week with baseball, I always express how much baseball and sports have meant to me in being. A healing agent, or at least a, a space of aspiration that we could look to when we're at our best, and we see teams uh, full of people from all backgrounds and all walks of life to be able to unify and come together. And uh, but we have a tall order, and and certainly what we're facing now is not simple. This is something that is present day that was built on the backs of a you know very challenging history, and and so. You know, my concern comes from a lot of the experiences I had. I grew up in Teaneck, New Jersey, one of the first towns to voluntarily desegregate. It was a commitment to diversity, and I experienced that all through my, you know, college, high school years and, and beyond. And I also also hail from a background where my father was an immigrant from Trinidad and Tobago, my mother- um, African-American from the South, you know, you know the Jim Crow eras and all these experiences she had. And it sort of shaped my upbringing and perspective. And within all that, because I grew up in this town that tried to harmonize these backgrounds, I, I always saw this optimistic place. And when it came to law enforcement, Many of my volunteer coaches, especially in summer league, were uh, law enforcement. They were in law enforcement. They were police officers, detectives, and actually a whole host of my teammates uh, just recently retired from being in law enforcement in my hometown. So so on that end, because I've had this access, when I look at what's going on in our country, uh, you know, specific to George Floyd in Minneapolis, uh, it's painful because There's sectors of my experience in my world that came together and harmonized fairly well uh, because I had the privilege and opportunity to be able to to engage on these levels that I think a lot of people don't. Many of us live in segregated world society. Many of us don't have access to law enforcement. Uh, We don't have that day-to-day experience that kind of humanizes people in a certain kind of way. And we're, and we have a political landscape that's very stressful and and uh, sharpened in a sense of you're here or you're there, and it's very kind of binary. So all that reaches that smoldering example that you just described of where we are, and 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 so for you know personally as a man of color, uh, my my kids, you know, I, I, it's hard not to think about what I've said to you know to say to them, but I've had enough experiences in the last you know few years specifically when they were old enough to have to engage them on topics and i think that in through that discussion i try to still lead with the sense of of connectivity and hope and something that we can get together on and and that's embodies uh, my passion for baseball you <laughs> know it's, it's i've always felt the gift of coming to spring training every year seeing people from all over the world come together and say, you know what? Yeah, you may be from Nebraska or Dominican Republic or Jersey or whatever, but, you know, we're team. We're putting on this uniform as one. And Joe and Jim Riggleman used to say, you know, play for the name on the front, not the name on the back. I mean, I, I used to really find that the most powerful and special thing about being a Major League Baseball player was actually the diversity and, and the fact that you have this common goal. So I hope that we can somehow elevate that as our future i know it's it's simplistic in some of the legacies of systematic challenges uh, whether it be it discriminatory or a long race and all the things that uh we've been built upon but we are all here with an opportunity to uh reassemble a different world going forward and to learn from these things that can divide us um and i still remain hopeful and optimistic but we're in a lot of pain right now and and we have to face it we have to do a lot of listening uh, to hear what people's experiences are. Um, I, I know that I've certainly had direct ones, but that's going to be important. And I think we're struggling a lot to listen right now. And it's hard to hear over the noise. So, uh, so you know, to our audience, I, I'm thankful because Jason Stark and I came together as friends. Uh, we've dreamed about this podcast for a long time because we've had a relationship for a long time and we share baseball in a way uh, that unites us because it's special in the nuanced, quirky kind of way that we love it. And, um, and I hope that love and that connection shines through for everybody listening so that we see in that spirit of how we can potentially come together and and reach a different place that we've uh, been before. So uh, So I just thank everyone for listening. I know we want to talk baseball, but when you have a great friend on the other line, you also want to be genuine and real about sharing what we're feeling in our hearts today.
0: Well, Doug, I, I really appreciate that you said that because, uh, yeah, let's make this clear to people. Um, you know, we're not speaking today out of this burning need that we both have to talk about politics, right? But we are speaking out of friendship. We've known each other a long time. Uh, we care about each other and our families our well-being matters to one another so you you, you kind of touched on this doug uh, your kids w- what are you telling your kids right now
3: well it's 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 layered I think the most important thing is that you want to come away I, I certainly and my wife certainly expressed to them how important it is to be hopeful right to to see a vision of where You can have this harmonizing place, uh, the best of, you know, and and as we know, a more perfect union, that was our country. It wasn't saying we're perfect today, that we have to continue to work towards it. Uh, As an engineer, we used to design systems, and one would be the, the as it is. You define where you are today. Then you'd project that as it will be if you don't change anything. If you stay at the status quo, where will we go? But the most important destination was as it should be, where you're aspirationally trying to go. And the work and the design comes in from moving that trajectory from as it will be to as it should be. And I tell my kids that as it should be is a place where we're able to still have our identity and our experiences, but still respect and love each other's walks and see ourselves as one, as humanity should Sort of overshadow in in the most positive light of everything. We are all people. We're all human. There is one race. It is the human race. We have cultures. We have all differences in certain kinds of ways, but that is what should bring us together. So I try to focus on that. But we're also keeping it real. Uh, We know that you know their father is a man of color. Their mother, you know, we we come together around. An experience that's that's unique and and sometimes very painful, uh, but we can use it as a source of solidarity and connection. And and so with my kids, I've walked them through experiences I've had. Uh, you know, years ago, a, a police officer from another town stopped me in my own driveway and asked me if I was trying to shovel to make money because they were looking for a suspect. That wasn't very cool, but we ended up passing a law in the state of Connecticut after two, almost two years of connection and outreach and awareness. And I had the privilege to have access to be able to do so to state senators and mayors and so on. So we turned it into something positive. We advocated for the schools to find ways to to unify with all the shortfalls and the, the, the underfunding. Um, but we also walked through other experiences when I worked for ESPN and a taxi driver decided that They didn't want to take me to my destination, nothing controversial, just trying to get a cab and they refused service, which is against the law. Uh, We worked through city council and Los Angeles airport to to make this not only selfishly, uh, something for my own edification, but for something that would help all humanity, help all people. Same thing happened in Chicago when they had this ambiguous hand gesture that had double meanings to circle games and supremacy. Uh, That was a moment where I worked with the Cubs, NBC, and so on to come up with solutions. So I'm very fortunate because I came from the background I just described, Teaneck, New Jersey, where I saw solutions. I saw positive examples. And so if you approach, and and I feel like there's a privilege in being able to approach solutions through that lens where you can yield solutions that benefit everyone. So I share that with my children and I try to help them see not only that we have a painful history with race in our country, but we also can find ways to bring it together because we can rally around something. And that is the spirit of baseball. That is the spirit at the best of sport. And and that example we share with them as best we can, even through the pain that they know we're going through. So I wanna protect them. I can't completely. I want them to believe that if they do right and make the you know good choices and they treat people well and respect, it will always lead to positive outcomes. But we know that's not always the case. And no matter what your walk of life, but with, but being overlaid with race, it's it's particularly challenging because you could be agreeable and people will may prejudge you or criminalize you. Um, and those things are 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 harsh, you know, when you're doing things that are Normal, like jogging or getting a cab or trying to call a game or whatever. Um, so that's that's painful, and they need to understand that that is that's part of their journey and their task. Uh, but there's when you have a vision of optimism and you see potential and you believe in collective uplift and that we are all one, then I think they'll get out of that something that could advance our society and our world in a better direction.
0: There's only one race, the human race. I'm going to keep those words in the forefront of my mind uh, as we go through this because that resonates, my friend. And uh, look, we're not going to spend this whole show talking about the state of modern America. It's not what we do here. This is a baseball show, so we will talk baseball with Joe Madden momentarily. But we also live on planet Earth, not planet baseball. And this has been quite a year on our planet. So I want to ask you about Those two things. Uh, I'll I'll ask this of Joe shortly, but, Doug, I want to ask you about baseball's place on this planet. Because I don't know if we're going to have a season. I think we will. I wrote about this the other day. I can't fathom baseball making the choice to drive the sport off a cliff at this moment in time over money. Uh, Not at a time when 41 million people are out of work and so many people are feeling so much pain. But that could happen. And this is a big week if it's not going to happen. So I I, I would think about it this way. Baseball can't cure injustice. But even without fans, I think baseball can play a role in helping us uh, maybe inch back toward normalcy. I feel like we need all the normalcy that we can grab onto right now. Doug, maybe you see this from a different perspective. So tell me, how, how do you think baseball fits at this moment, into the fabric of this America,
3: it, it fits extremely well. It, it fits well, and and although yes, it, you're not going to solve centuries of inequities and 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 challenges, but you can create that aspirational space that I talk about uh, that that we can see our greatest moments, our greatest possibility inside of baseball, and and this isn't based on. Always looking ahead, it's looking at some of the great moments that baseballs uh, created for our 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 lives. Uh, whether you know recovering and coming back from nine eleven, or uh, so many times where just the the joy of competition uh, changed the world, and and so the sustainability of that change is allowing, is how we can you know look ahead and and connect the dots between that past, that present, and that future. So. Uh, I hope, and I'm, you know, betting on that baseball will come together, players' association, MLB, and say we have to play this. Uh, they've had labor peace throughout times where they could have just blown up the system just to fight because the money was on the table. Uh, they've elected to keep labor peace for a long time, and this is a moment where that is all the more important. Because we'll have something that like you said that has some semblance of normalcy, uh, we'll have something that gives us hope to what potentially is around the corner as we sort of come back from something that's going to take a long time to come back from, and and I, that's important. And it's something live in our world, right? It's so strange to watch television, and everything is contrived, right? It's on demand, you play it, right? The, but there's yeah. there's there's not there's no spontaneity in in our enjoyment at this point when you talk about television and watching things right that's that's the big void i find in sports i'm looking for something that's happening now and it's not there's nothing happening now right in that sense it's other than the pain that we're kind of going through right now so uh that it's it's an important role and and baseball can be uh you know one piece of that puzzle to kind of getting back and uh, I, I, I hope they take that opportunity and run with it and see past, like you said, some of the economic challenges. Those are just negotiations. Work it out. Work it out. Uh, and live to fight another day in 2021 or, or whatever. But 2020 is a pivotal year in literally the history of our country. So we, we got to uplift and uphold.
0: Yeah, this is literally a time to dream of peace. Peace and planet baseball and peace on planet Earth. Uh, Peace has never looked so good. Am I right? Absolutely. And with that, I'd like to welcome in the manager of the Angels, Joe Madden, the perfect guest this week, because he's always thinking about that world beyond himself. Um, Joe has a foundation called Respect90, which continues to make a difference in his hometown of Hazleton, PA, and in numerous other communities across America. Joe is also involved with Madden Art, where you can now purchase amazing masks that benefit Respect90. So Joe, welcome. I would love for you to take this opportunity to talk about Madden Art and the work of your foundation.
1: Well, first of all, good morning, Jason, Doug. How are you guys doing? We're good, um, and, I, and I do appreciate you having me be a part of your uh, program today. Um, and thanks for asking those particular questions. That's uh, you know, those are the kind of things that are really um, are are pertinent, like you said, right now. And uh, Madden Art Respect ninety, yeah, it's difficult to raise money right now. I mean, there's no there's no way to get out there and have a, an event, whether it's a golf tournament or an actual event in a building with people showing up and doing the typical methods. We had to be become creative. So with that, uh, we came out more recently with the Respect Six Feet campaign. And Respect Six Feet. Um, a gentleman that we uh, from Chicago, and I can't remember his name right now. He's the guy that really came up with the phrase. I take no credit, <laughs> but from that we 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 started with respect six feet T-shirts, the the masks that say respect six feet on it. A respect with two feet with the number six in the middle. Um, all the proceeds will go to the Respect Ninety Foundation, which then it gets in turn to um, all the different things under our umbrella. And yes, uh, the MaddenArt.com. We're including more of our. Um, uh, clothing, like stuff from the past, uh, from a couple of years ago, the, taking the artwork and putting it on sweatshirts or hoodies and T-shirts, and um, I want to get into like uh, beach blankets and, and and just blankets and and Yeti cups, uh, like uh, well, you can't see me right now, but my coffee cup. Um, so whatever we can do right now, outside of having to being able to go outside and and press the flesh in order to make money for the foundation, so we could distribute it. Um, so. The primary beneficiary is the Hazleton integration project in my hometown where we've been for years trying to bring together the Hispanic and Anglo cultures in my hometown. And obviously, right now, with everything going on in the world uh, in the United States, obviously very pertinent and very necessary. So um, maddenart.com, check it out. Um, whatever you purchase, the money's going to get turned around and put to good use. And also, if you have the time, go to respect90.org. And you can read more about the Hazelton Integration Project. So uh, that's what's going on. That's where we're at. And we are just, we're just uh, continue to try to uh, make a difference.
0: Great. Now, Joe, before you joined us, uh, Doug and I spent some time talking about the world we live in. Uh, I mm-hmm. think it's safe to say this is an extraordinary <laughs> time in America, and it's a really difficult time for many people. Now, you're, you're a man of tremendous perspective. So here's my first question. What's the meaning of baseball at a time like this?
1: Well, I think most, everything's trivialized in a sense. I mean, <laughs> the most important thing is, is, is human beings. It's us. It's uh, uh, health. It's to being able to communicate and get along. All those things are always paramount, obviously. And, and whatever we can do to um, uh, bridge this divide that's going on, whatever the, whatever the leadership necessary is to bring people together. And I, I don't have any answers on that. It's, it's something that requires a lot of thought. It requires a lot from disparate groups. It requires a lot of thought with open-mindedness. It, re- it just requires the coming together. It requires that that neutral, that, that, uh, the opposite of polarization. We got to get to that point where leadership understands that and, and, and helps and aids bringing folks together. That's, that's number one. So, uh, reading everything being i'm in long beach right now there's a lot of uh, demonstrations here yesterday huntington beach etc and that's that's all i can think about is how do we and everybody's demonstrating there's a lot of anger and, and angst going on but what do we do what's the plan how do we get this together and that's the part to me that's fascinating or interesting it needs to be done baseball uh, some in some way could you know help bridge that a little bit uh Uh, I think people just, we, we are, uh, the entertainment, we are part of the entertainment industry. We will provide content for people to watch to get their minds off certain things. And, and maybe, you know, just watching a game of baseball, maybe there's some kind of commentary, just, um, something just by participating in the game, even if you can't be in the ballpark that, that helps this healing process somehow moves it along. Um, somebody might, uh, Find an understanding just from watching that game, like I said, or listening to a conversation. I don't know, but I do know historically baseball has been a part of a healing process. We're talking world wars; um, that's that's pretty significant. Uh, my, my pop and my uncle's participated in that. So, whatever we can possibly do to create a better conversation and, and help to bridge this divide, um, I think we've done in the past, and, and hopefully we could uh, do that again.
0: You know, baseball is one of the last great unifying forces in america i I point all the time to your cubs world series parade that's one of the Mm. five largest gatherings of human beings on the planet right since we've been recording it um i mean we're a long ways away from having any parades but that feeling is that still something that baseball can provide
1: um, I want to believe so you know you just uh, uh, if we can get to get back together more quickly and get this thing rolling and and again provide a unified front this is a perfect an, an, a microcosm example of uh, finding some common ground don't be so um, ext- so extreme uh, polar opposite let's find some common ground let's get back together let's work together let's make this run in the right direction let's promote the sport and people can see that uh, we can work together and, and it set an example just from that perspective also, I think is very important. Um, so yeah, just by getting back out there, um, going through a difficult moment right now where it appears as though we've, we've been able to establish protocol with health and now we have to establish protocol with finances and we got to get beyond that to the point where, like I said, it can be done. This is, this is, we we were look to be so far apart and now we've, we've come together. We're coming back on the baseball field. We're here. And uh, and we've we decided some things that we've come together. So I I, I do believe that uh, just even that event alone of this coming back and playing after all this different discussion uh, can send somewhat of an example, yes.
3: Yeah, and, and Joe, I guess within yeah. that, given our isolation or separation just by the mm-hmm. what we're dealing with on a health crisis level, what's been right. your strategy to to bring everybody together through technology and in this time yeah. where you have such little access, at least directly, to your personnel and players.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, uh, as soon as this happened, um, and I was kind of like uh, in my RV for three months, actually, <laughs> I talked to our um, media guy, Adam Chotzko, and I talked to Rick Vaughn, who got in touch with you guys, and I wanted to get out there as much as I can, not just within my group, but in general. I just wanted to, my thought was to m- maintain uh, a momentum for Major League Baseball coming out of spring training and, and hopefully getting back into a season in some form which is we're on the uh, precipice of possibly doing. So um, my strategy has been that. And I've been like on Zoom, Zoom conference calls from the Arizona uh, Miracle League to Princeton Baseball to University of Texas Baseball to Merrill Lynch um, and Harvard Business School. I've been like all over the map. And, again, my, my point there was to, uh, to provide baseball content, positivity, leadership, all those kind of things. I wanted that out there as soon as I possibly could. Baseball-wise, I knew there was going to be a time lapse. I wasn't as concerned because guys had to be with their families and establish what they thought. Nobody knew what they thought going into this thing. None of us did. You didn't know how long it was going to be, how severe it was going to be. Uh, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories going on. So you just didn't know where people were coming from. So for me, it was about I have to establish what I think as well as the players did too. Leave them alone. More recently, uh, when, uh, we, we, did texts, uh, we did text uh, uh, chains, things like that, But the coaches, I've kept close to the vest. I've had um, weekly conference calls with the coaches to the point now it's becoming biweekly just trying to maintain uh, that communication and the fact that we stay connected. More recently, I've been getting in touch with furloughed uh, employees to let them know that, you know, we are still here for them and that um, I feel as though one of my main contributions right now would be just purely morale, if I could actually, because I – there's the, if, if you demonstrate sincere empathy uh, to anybody and absolutely listen that's in a difficult situation, I think you have a chance to connect. And that's, that's my plan right now. So I've been doing that. A couple of days ago, I did my lead bull meeting where I got I, who we consider the most influential guys on the team. And I got those guys together for the first time in a while. And in that meeting specifically, it wasn't about, hey, when are we coming back and what does it look like? That was not my point at all my point was to have them understand we come back, uh, we're going to have to, this is going to be about flexibility and being nimble and, and uh, um, being able to relay our emotions in a way that we could, we could come together and and benefit one another. So that, because once the season starts, we want to win, you know, it's going to get, we're going to compete. We want to win. So you just can't want to come back, throw the balls and bats out there and hope for the best. There's got to be a plan involved. So to me, the, the, the plan is that to really start getting it out there among the guys. Listen, who's ever able to cope with all the distractions and different methods and the lack of process and new new normals, the group that are able to do that probably has a better chance of getting out of the gate well and then becoming significant in baseball this year. And we want to be this year, plus we want to be down the road. So, it's, okay, maybe that's a long answer, but it's it's not so simple. I mean, I've I've been doing a lot of different things in order to try to keep this together and somewhat bring it back together.
0: Yeah, You know, you're such a motivator, Joe. So I, I, I want to ask you about that. Um, before I forget though, I, I want to also make sure that I ask you about a guy that people might've heard of that Mike Trout, because he's also mm-hmm. a guy who's expressed some concerns about leaving mm-hmm. his pregnant wife when baseball resumes. So just first quick question is Mike Trout going to play.
1: Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, Michael's been on all these calls. and <laughs> okay, uh, <good. laughs> Yeah, no, that, he was off, obviously as part of the lead bulls and was very productive. And, uh, um, I mean, th- these guys want to play. These guys are eager to play. And I know what I've read today, and there there may be some reasons as though um, mitigating factors that some guys may choose to not want to play. And I, listen, totally respect all that. That's, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, just, just, there just can't be hard and fast. The, everybody has unique uh, – Uh, situations, uh, problems, potential pitfalls, problems within their own little uh, kingdoms within their family. So that it has to be administered to and has to be listened to. But from the guys I've been talking to, they're all eager to get back. They're all eager to get back. I've not heard anybody say that they're not.
0: Good to hear. Now uh, I want to ask you about motivation because you, Mm -hmm. you're a guy, you've always got sayings and, and jingles Mm -hmm. and t-shirts and signs and, I'm sure you've thought a lot about what you want to say to your players and how you'll want to motivate mm-hmm. your players. Everybody's been apart. part. Uh, all of a sudden, there's going to be this togetherness, assuming we get this done. So what do right. you have in mind to motivate?
1: Well, what I did recently, and I don't know if you're aware of this, I might. Um, about, a week, about a month ago, I think it was, I uh, wanted to be a month ahead of what I thought uh, things might start to stir I went to the clubhouse at Diablo with a GoPro on my head and right. I walked around the clubhouse nice. and I recreated, I tried to recreate the, um, our meeting that I had with the, with the whole group. The first, uh, the first time the entire team was together and I stood in the middle of the room, empty locker room. And I just did like, you know, you, you stand there and you, you <laughs> create like a little bit of a circle as you're talking to the group. And I tried to recreate that whole conversation of what we had talked about. And then we started something called the identity wall. And the identity wall is exactly what it sounds like. It's, I, I want who we are on the wall in, in urban artist kind, uh, style lettering. And we got this really good urban artist by the name of Dewey back there, uh, the vice president of stuff, Bussy found him. In the middle of the wall, it says engaged in big letters, engaged. Uh, Butter Brian Butterfield was talking to our infielders one day about bunt defense and he used that word about 10 times. <laughs> and I thought, that's like the perfect spot to begin, engaged. So that's in the middle. And then you have words like relentless, uh, fearlessness, toughness, um, uh, dominate, two strikes, um, believe it and you'll see it. Um, And we have some old logos. We have some old angel logos from back when they played at Wrigley Field to tie the past to the present. Identity. Uh, My concern is that in today's game, identities within organizations have been lost because everybody's playing up one sheet of music and that's an analytical sheet of music. Everybody's playing the same game. It's not like when I began and you knew it. It's almost like knowing a Chevy from a Ford in the 50s and the 60s, where right now it's unrecognizable. You go down the street, every car is black, white, or silver. And you look at the lines you have, there's, they, they blur. There's, there's no differentiation. Back in the day, you knew what a Chevy was. You knew what a Ford was or uh, Buick or Oldsmobile or Caddy or Lincoln—you knew just just by appearance it had its own identity. The colors were were fabulous. They were bright. They were different. Um, I want us to recreate our own identity as angels. Two thousand two angels on TV watching that run. That team had identity. That team had grit. That team was different. And I'll I'll, I'll apply that to the team that I had with the uh, Cubs. I thought we had a lot of that in the twenty sixteen Cubs also, but. Think about it. If you look among all organizations, everybody's trying to play the same game. Everybody. So these are the kind of things I'm reminding my players about uh, through a video like that. And then, okay, now under these circumstances, like I'm saying, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same kind of day. You're not you're going to have totally different patterns, and it's going to be absolutely uncomfortable. Embrace that. And the phrase I'm using is embrace the struggle because that's where growth occurs. And that's something that I've always told my kids growing up. It's something, uh, and I think you could all relate to this. If you think about that moment in your life where you had to really work through a struggle, and if you look at it right now, man, you could go back. You'd go back to that in a second, to that moment, because that's where you really learn, and that's where you really grew. We have this opportunity right now for aware, cognizant in the in the moment, and know that, okay, that's what's happening right now. So maybe you'll um, treat this moment differently in a more positive way as opposed to negativity. Be uncomfortable, be inconvenienced. Okay, but know that growth's going to occur.
3: Well, Joe, I mean, I, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. You've had so many uh, opportunities you know, to lead different teams. So I'm curious, within your personal mm-hmm. growth, <clears throat> what things have you taken from, say, Tampa, Chicago to now and now are carrying forward and keeping with you. And what things have you sort of left on the side saying, you know, I have to revisit that or that, that wasn't helpful. And now I'm going to move forward in a different way.
1: Well, the the thing that um, I believe is I've always thought I believe, I believe and believe more than ever when you're dealing with professionals um, and just human beings, but I mean, just in a professional sense. um, If I'm honest with you, about whatever this moment is, and have this difficult conversation. Um, you might not like it. You know, might might not like me for a little bit, <clears throat> but um, you'll respect me, and we'll get through this moment. If I dissemble, if I don't give it to you straight up, if I try to create a different uh, kind of reality to this thing, and I'm basically lying to you, you're going to hate me forever. You're never going to come back. You'll never, you'll never really going to trust me. So I've always believed that, and I, and I've found out and are, are realized it's accurate probably the most the most important thing you have to do and one of the most important things you have to do is have hard conversations with your players uh, with your staff and it has to be straight and honest and you you worry about in a sense okay what's the other phrase I love uh, com- uh, honesty without compassion equals cruelty you have to know you're speaking to but you have to be honest if you're going to establish the trust necessary to build this thing into something uh, really viable and productive and uh, lasting and permanent you have to you have to go about your business that way so something I always thought and then I know I began that that method with the Rays and I know I continued it with the cubs and now walking into the door with the angels for the very first first day it is like it just slaps me in the face make sure you stay with that don't even don't ever waver from that. Uh, conceptually uh, that is that important to creating culture that 's probably maybe the most single important uh, thing in creating culture and and developing the trust How do you develop trust by truly uh, as perfect honesty as you can possibly throw out there what i 've learned not to do <clears throat> well um, i don 't even know what that is I, I, and, and I don 't mean to mean that in a pretentious way you have to understand. Even before I got that job with Tampa Bay, I was, um, I started this in 81, <laughs> 1981. I figured out I'm a millennial. I'm a <laughs> millennial coach. All my, all my coaching philosophy was born in the 80s. And, um, and I, 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 I fall back on that. The thing, the thing okay, the, my, I'll tell you the one thing that I did learn um, was in the 80s. And it was in 85, 86 in Midland, Texas, that I would never want to repeat again. And this is the thing that I think is uh, what, what permits me or helps me. When I started taking uh, bad performance personally, as a manager, as a coach, <clears throat> if you're putting out your program there and things aren't working out well, never take it personally. Because when you do that, then you're going to say or do things with your players that are inappropriate or wrong, you're going to, you're going to blame them in the wrong way. Meaning that you're going to, you're going to be accusatory. You're going to, you're going to, what I did was I posted, uh, one ads above urinals and behind in bathroom stalls so that the guys could look at the one ads telling them that if they don't start playing better, these are your options, <laughs> right? Whenever you, whenever you threaten, yeah. whenever you threaten a group, um, it never works. So, the thing that I've learned, and I've, I've carried it over since then, it, you, you can never take it personally. Understand, and if you're going to ever, ever accuse a player of not uh, uh, caring or not uh, putting out the appropriate effort, you better be right. You could, you could be critical of the performance, that it's not good enough and we got to get better, and that's, that's an honest evaluation. But when you, start, when you start trying to evaluate heart and soul and uh, whatever's going on inside that person, be careful. That's where it's going to blow up on you. So I learned that in 85 86 in Midland, Texas and that's the one thing that I've carried over from that point till today um, and I really I hope I never even think of broaching that that concept again. So it's about uh, creating trust and it's about don't take it personally and, and if you're going to accuse anybody of, of not caring, you better be absolutely certain.
0: Uh, hey, I don't know about you, but I have read all 67 pages of the proposed health and safety protocols. <laughs> it's yeah. it's quite a document. Um, there's a special section in there on high-risk individuals. And uh, look, even though you might be the fittest, most vibrant guy your age, I know – their mm-hmm. definition of high risk would include you. Their definition mm-hmm. of millennial would not include you. We'll
1: have to, to listen to this. <laughs> but, I feel more like a millennial than a, than a 66-year-old right now. I know, right? Well, right.
0: Mm-hmm. you know, if you read through these protocols, they would actually advise you to avoid mm-hmm. close contact with others, right? To conduct meetings outdoors where you can. Uh, ideally, not to even have direct contact with a lot of the people around you. So uh, – My questions are, A, what health concerns, if any, do you have? B, have you talked to any baseball doctors about this? And C, can any manager do his job that way?
1: Well, you know, all the different protocols are in place. These things do change um, weekly, biweekly, at least monthly. So I'm I'm honestly looking for uh, uh, this is where it is right now. This is such a fluid, and, uh, and I've talked about being flexible and nimble situation among my players. I believe you have to – this is what's happening now, and I need to um, be adhered to what the, the protocol is now. But I do anticipate – I do. I anticipate that to change as we move this thing forward. Personally, um, what I've done is I've been in – I was living in my RV for three months after this all happened. One month, I stayed in Arizona. My wife, Jay, came over here to get this house set up that we're back into. And I went Spartan for a bit. Um, I, um, I was in a, a very um, strict um, diet. I was in a strict um, exercise program. I was in a strict, uh, strict sleeping program. I was uh, mentally as deeply into my thoughts as I've been, again, since the mid-'80s. And that's why I'm going back to that, where my philosophies were born. So, my, my perception is, and then of course, supplements and reading all about it into mean, the A's, the D's, the zincs, vitamin C, all the, all the different things that build immunity. Uh, I cannot possibly eat better than I am right now. I've had maybe one to two glasses of wine a week at the most, and probably one. I haven't had a beer in over a month. Uh, no whiskey, none of that stuff. So, my point is, my, my, um, my thought was to get in as best shape as I possibly can at this age. And then after that, um, yeah, the doctors, I've not any, not no negative response from any doctors. Nobody has, um, flipped any, um, uh, concerns my way. So my plan is to approach this like I approach everything else, except that I have taken what I thought were the right steps to be ready for this moment and see how that plays out. So, uh, honestly, I, I'm not trying to be anything, but honest with you, I feel good about going into this. I, uh, I don't have I don't have those concerns, um, right now. Um, unless some, you know, a medical person tells me something differently. Um, uh, and the primary reason that I'm, you would call it, you would put me in that category is just based on a number of my age, but there's no other reason to put me in that category right now. So, um, that's where I'm, that's where I'm working from. And I don't anticipate I'm, um, again, I'll, I will follow protocol, but I'm going to get right in there as much as I can.
3: Well Joe, I mean it, the um, analytics aspect is always fascinating. Yeah. We've had a lot of discussions. Remember my philosophical yeah. question of the day, right? right So if you could take elements from you know past baseball before this revolution mm-hmm. and and bring it back, which elements would you would you want to see back?
1: Okay, um, uh, okay, I could go both ways on that. What do I like about what's going on now? Uh, but first of all I'll be offensively speaking. Mm-hmm. I would, you know, the all or nothing approach uh, at the plate. I would like to see that change. And the easiest, bestest, fastest way to change that would be to change the baseball. If we had real baseballs in the baseball game, ones that didn't have titles stacked across them, hitter, you know, the guys that aren't supposed to hit home runs would not hit home runs. Pitchers then would be more willing to pitch in a, in a manner um, and, and not be so careful. Uh, the elevated fastball would still be uh, part of it but the secret ball might come back because the ball is going to be put back on the ground more. And if the guy hits it well, it's going to be at the warning track and not 15 rows deep. So I think it just starts with the baseball. Just by changing the baseball itself would then cause a a difference in the way you swing the bat and the the concern about moving the ball to the opposite field or moving it with two strikes. I I think just by changing the baseball, speed will become more prominent in the game again. Uh, to get in scoring position, to score on that single, to put more pressure on the pitcher, um, just in general, all of that, the ball to, to offense will change the game significant, significantly. And then, and then the kind of pitcher and pitching you can can deploy, pitching will become more um, prominent again. P- actual pitching and not just throwing. Um, you might see even less arm injuries, uh, mess, less blowouts, for the fact that guys aren't just trying to throw 100, and guys are actually out there pitching. Uh, in their mind, 100% might be 75 to 80% with movement and ground balls, et cetera, because they're not concerned about the ball going over the wall. Um, I would just start right there. Um, I think everything's impacted by that thought. The parts about analytics that I think are, are pertinent and are actually helping is, the, you know, in a way is helping, but in a way it's, it's, it's kicking left-handed pull hitters' butts is, is the defense, uh, where, where analytics are, uh, to me, very precise, is defense and, and, and also the pitching because pitchers know exactly where to throw the ball against on Glanville. They know exactly where to throw it. Um, if, they, if they have 500 at-bats of yours logged or even 1,000, whatever, they know exactly where to go and they know exactly where to play on defense. And you can't help that because you know what it's like as a hitter. Ball's coming in. We're going to react a certain way. Your body works a certain way. Your hands work a certain way. The ball's going there. And, and furthermore, you, they know where the ball's not going to be put in play. And if it is, it's going to be put in play weekly. They know that uh, based on analytics, and that's, that's where the big disconnect is because there's not a thing I could tell you about hitters that any of this stuff benefits the hitters to uh, counterattack where the defense is playing, where this pitcher is going to throw the ball to you. You're in a uh, reactive situation. He's proactive, and that's, that's the part about analytics that that's created this, uh, this disparity that everybody doesn't like about our game. And that's, and that's where uh, analytics has gotten to the point where everybody is playing the same game. When I was with the Rays, our, our edge uh, was through defense primarily. And then we figured out the elevated fastball and what that did. And that's where Joel Peralta comes in throwing 88, 89 miles an hour. We already knew what Jake McGee can do at 95, 96. But then Joel comes in, elevated fastball, split, and the fact that he threw his first pitch breaking ball for a strike the opposition hit about 100 against them. I mean, that's where this stuff is good, and that's where that's beneficial to a player. But in generally, in general terms, um, if if the ball's not changed, if the ball doesn't become less um, excitable, and and uh, there's not a change in overall philosophy within front offices or just in the game in general, or, or you know, from ownership on down, you're going to get the same game, and you're going to see the same kind of stuff, same result, kind of like this this very non-interesting game where it is just about hitting home runs. And I hate when strike, I hate when strikeouts are okay. I hate that. I do believe in accepting your walks as a hitter. I do believe in that. Uh, And then pitching might come back and be an art again.
0: Uh, You know, Joe, I keep trying to picture baseball on the other side of this. And, uh, well, I mean, let's just assume we're going to have baseball. Uh, mm-hmm. it couldn't be more clear now, I think to all of us, that this stoppage is not just an intermission. Uh, life's going to be really different on the other side. Uh, baseball is mm-hmm. not going to look the same. It's not going to feel the same. You're not going to even have your whole team sitting in the dugout, staggered clubhouse times, guys sitting mm-hmm. in the stands, Curious what you see in your crystal ball when baseball returns, and how do you think managers, players, fans, even media will go about navigating their way through the new world?
1: Um, well, uh, that, that's that's so difficult. Obviously, um, I, I got a lot of different thoughts, but again, um, I think it could almost be well. First of all, you people hired back the, the, the structure of the minor leagues. I'm, I'm curious what that's going to look like. Yeah. Uh, it's going to start right there, I think. Um, um, are we, you know, how many players are we willing to be back? What is the financial structure going to look like? How many operators are going to be on the minor league system? Because that's the talent pool. And Dave Moore the other day said the most, God, the most, the best thing I've read in a while. When he, because when you talk about the importance of the minor leagues, he stressed the importance beyond the ten or fifteen year major league bet that puts up all the records. He really emphasized the importance of the guy that never gets out of a ball that becomes a high school coach or a junior college coach or a college coach or minor league coach or manager. And in my situation, he was talking about me, yeah. a major league manager, and, and the support group that permits uh, the stars to grow and learn the game and play and eventually get right with the major league level. This other group is the group that really is the group that promotes this game and teaches this game. Um, I was so disappointed I had not thought about that. And then when he said it, I actually texted him yesterday morning. I let him know how awesome I thought that that uh, commentary was on his part. And I want to talk to him more about it. So I, I think, first of all, I'll just go right there. Don't overlook the importance of that and what it means to the growth of our game. Because this is these are the guys that grow the game. Yep. These are the guys that really, truly uh, participate, grow. I don't even talk about scouts. A lot of these guys become scouts. And I was a scout, and I know – To me, the scouting and development is where this game cannot neglect. Uh, We cannot neglect that because the product on the major league field will not be nearly as good if scouting and development is neglected. Just can't be. Um, With that, I thought, if in fact, um, I don't know, I don't even, this is just some thoughts and I might be totally off base, but if in fact you cannot bring back all the minor league um, teams in the numbers, would this then uh, proliferate again summer ball? Like the Boulder Collegians and the Wichita Auto Glass and uh, the Anchorage Gold Panners and uh, the the I mean I mean you know what that was a pretty cool gig I mean you know <laughs> part of that was I had to work I mean not that I worked my you know I didn't work myself to the bone during there, but you had a job yeah. and then you go in and played baseball at night yeah
3: Cape Cod yeah
1: yeah yeah I mean you yep, did it at the Cape yep. I did Atlanta Collegiate Baseball League one year I, in '73 I was I worked for Richie Rabbit's my major football coach and I installed fences. And then I'd go play up in Stratton where I'd get off early to drive to either Mount Vernon, New York, or Long Island, or uh, Bergen County to play a game that night. Yeah. And the next year I worked on the playground. So um, I worked at James Street Playground and I was able to get off because my cousin ran the system. But i drive. i drive to Mount Vernon where I blew out a hamstring at like 7 o'clock, to 7.30 at night and had to drive home in my dad's old with an ice bag on the front seat. I mean. These are the things man i 'm okay with that i'm okay i 'm okay with players guys having to get out there and and incorporate normal life with this with the with the sport again and and get away a little bit from the analytical component and just go out there and, and purely just play some baseball and and again maybe re relearn some of the former techniques that I thought made the game so interesting and part of what makes that game so interesting is the is the uh, the choreography of a hit and run of the stolen base of really emphasizing first, to third. And if a guy makes an out on the bases that nobody's going to, you know, climb him to the point because we can't make an out on the base because you reduce the opportunity for a two or three run homer. Although if you manage in midwind, I absolutely believe that to be true because of the way the wind blows out and how hard the ground is, I mean, these are the, these, this is to me where I want it. I would pay attention. If we pay attention to that, the game has a better chance to grow. And last point, And the thing that, um, uh Dayton brought up and I think I'd love to see the academies come back in the United States where you give young athletes maybe not um so um uh dripping with baseball instinct maybe not as interested in the game but giving them an opportunity to be part of this group that's growing the game academy why you talk about the RBI program um and shame on me for not knowing more about it but to me that's an awesome that's an outstanding concept I don't even know how much of that that we truly have benefited from. So there's, there's, there may be these, this kind of like a grassroots component that might be on the other side of all of this, that might actually lend to the growth of the game. And that's, that was my bike ride yesterday. So that was, you asked the question, Jason, that's what I was, this is what I was thinking about yesterday.
0: One more thing. Um, mm-hmm. Joe, you talk constantly about positivity How do you maintain positivity? How do we maintain positivity Mm -hmm. at a time when that may never have been more challenging than it is now?
1: You know, listen, it is very challenging. But just look throughout history and some of the difficult moments we've had to work through. We weren't there, but people before us had to. And I'm a big Churchill fan. And and what he did um, in that country in the middle of that war um, to maintain the faith uh, among that group. And I'm sure he had his dark moments, and the moments when uh, he had no idea he, he had to just say this, he had to prop himself up, whatever, and and come out and deliver that positive message because that's what we need to hear to get through something like this. And you know Roosevelt during World War II, uh, you know the, the, the fear, fear itself is that's that's probably the worst part of all of this. It's just just the thought of fear. Um, so for me, uh, and the one thing by Churchill when going. To, when you're going through hell, keep on going. I thought that's always been a great line. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just don't see the negative side. I don't see, you know, whenever you're going through a moment like this, you, you, um, you portray or you, you project the fact that it's the worst ever, uh, it's the worst situation in the history of mankind, and it's not even close to that. There's people before us that have gone through a lot worse, uh, including my pop, my mom, you know, the group that went through the Depression, uh, right up to the point uh, through world wars. Uh, it's, they, they went through some tough stuff. And I know it, it's, it, it looks insurmountable right now, but we're going to get through it. Um, I think based on science and technology and history, just know that we're going to come through this. But the big thing is we've got to stick together. And you don't create morale uh, by just, like I said, polarization. We've got to figure this out. We've got to, leadership-wise, uh, find some middle ground to permit all of us to agree and work from the same sheet of music, please. I mean, that's that's where the conclusions, that's where the answer is. So um, I do always believe the glass is half full. I will not lose that posture. I'm trying to promote that now within my group, the angels right now, and of course within my family, my kids, my wife, everybody that I come in contact with. To me, there's no other way. Um, so just realize history, uh, and this too shall pass. We're going to get through this, and we'll get through it more quickly, and we'll come out uh, better on the other side if in fact, we do do this together.
0: Yeah, you're talking to two <laughs> glass half full guys, uh, Doug, yeah. Doug. I
1: don't think anybody's ever quoted
0: Churchill on this show. No, no, before, so well, we're, and I do want to leave, good. And I want to I
3: want to leave you with one quote. The superintendent of Hartford Public Schools in Connecticut, Dr. Leslie Torres Rodriguez. I'm not sure if she's the originator, but I want to see if you'd put this up on your wall. Uh, change happens at the speed of trust. Yeah. So I've, I don't know if you've heard that one before, but
1: that's- I actually used it the other day. There's a book, The Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey Jr. I actually used that a couple of days ago. Perfect. I, I, re- I read that his dad, Stephen Covey, I read The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. So I think it was in the late 80s that The Speed of Trust came out or is it in the 90s, but The Speed of Trust, yes. Stephen Covey Jr., check it out. Excellent. And The Speed of Trust permits all this to uh, come together in a very positive way.
0: Uh, Doug, we need to let Joe go. Yes, thank you, Joe. <laughs> Joe. Joe, it's been uplifting to have you visit us here in Starkville. Uh, thank you so much. Be well. Hope our paths cross
1: in a ballpark somewhere. <laughs> hey, guys, ask any time. I really enjoy this type of conversation. You know that. And you you made me better by, by permitting me to be part of this today. So I, I do appreciate uh, it. Back, yeah, you guys are great. Appreciate
0: it. Yeah, back at you. We're going to embrace the struggle. Yes, the rest of the day. Always. For sure. <laughs> because, that's
1: growth, because that's where growth occurs. Hell exactly. Up. Bye-bye.
3: Thanks, Joe. Take care. Be safe.
0: Doug, it's time for one of our favorite parts of every podcast, listener trivia. It's our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. We'll tell you how it works shortly. But first, let's get to our question. You know, we had so many great ones this week, but finally settled on this question from Ellie Wolgelernter. Uh, His Twitter handle is, I can't believe I have to say this again, E W O H L G E L E R N T E R. Phew. Nice. Uh, Doug Ellie lives in Jerusalem, man. He's currently writing a book on Jews, baseball, and the Israeli Olympic team. Uh, So we're now getting questions from around the globe. Very cool. That. Very cool. Yeah, we're known for our international reach. <laughs> or, or maybe not. <laughs> okay. Anyway, let, let's get to his question. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Who are the only four players in history to homer as a teen? In other words, a teenager mm-hmm. and over 40. So the four players in history who homered as teenagers and 40-somethings. Ooh. Now, I know I'm going to get this wrong. But uh, here's how I tried to go about this. Tried to think of players who homered as teenagers and then went from there. So here are my mm. four. One of them, like, I, I've heard this question before. I know Rusty Staub is the answer, so I'm guessing him. Then I've got Ken Griffey Jr., Robin Yount, mm. Al Kaline, just because there are three Hall of Famers who debuted as teenagers, but I, I, I it can't possibly be that easy. So I just, I'll just tell you about how I try to think about it. Uh, you go way back in time. There are stars who always come up in the baseball teenager notes that I've been cranking out. Yeah. Mel Jimmy Fox, Ty Cobb. Uh, more recently, A-Rod. I know he got to the big leagues as a teenager. Uh, Tim McCarver is in some kind of trivia question like this. I Thought about even Ed Cranepool, he's like a, he's a human trivia answer. Yeah, but I don't know, Doug. Help rescue us here, will you?
3: Oh man, well, it's funny. I, I had I had Griffey and Yount, I definitely had those guys. Uh, as soon as I heard Teen, I think a Yount for some reason, right out of the gate. Of course, yeah, Jimmy, too, but after that, I was kind of blank. But I, I would throw in a rod and um. You know, after that, I was kind of blank. <laughs> so, <laughs> so how do, did, did Mickey Mantle play to forty? I, I, no, I, I didn't. No, I didn't think he, he played the, his knees and stuff. Uh, and I wonder. if, I always think there's a trick question here. Some like pitcher that like went. You know what I'm saying? Like some pitcher <laughs> who went deep at, at nineteen, yeah. and, and you got f- the last.
0: You got the last trick question, like man, this, the, the, the MVP switch hitter question.
3: Yeah, yeah, Vita Blue. I, I was ready for that. Yeah. So, um. So like, yeah, I mean, I I have no idea. So I think well, we got
0: it surrounded, but I don't think we have. I think it.
3: we do have it surrounded. So, um, so, can, so one yeah, of those others, Ott. You said Mel. All right. What do I? Yeah, <laughs> I'll I'll just I'll just go with <laughs> Ott Mel. Was it Mel? Okay. I I don't even and know Ot.
0: what the heck we answered, Cam. But let, let's. I'm sure we got it wrong. Hey, Ron, let's bring Ron, in. Yeah, yeah all yeah, all over the, the map
2: here. But I will say to pin two names that you guys guessed correctly. Rusty Staub is correct as is A-Rod, one of the other names. And quickly, Ken Griffey Jr. surprisingly did not hit a home run in his age 40 season, though he hit 19 during his age 39
3: season. Oh, killing me.
0: definitely played at 40.
2: He definitely played at 40, never a home run. Ty Cobb is another one of those answers. He'll
3: hit like three home
2: runs. How do we miss that? And then another man, the last man on this list, who hit a home run in his age 40 season, coincidentally enough, his 500th home run of his career, Gary Sheffield. Why don't we go ahead and take a look what? at that 500th home run, April 19th, 2009, against Milwaukee. And he drives one deep down the left field line, hit it toward the corner, and it's out of here! Gary Sheffield with his 500th career home run to greet gary
0: sheffield his first hit as a met puts him in the 500
3: home run club
0: wow, wow. that's a great call and it actually raises another trivia question he played for like, the Mets. he had five hit his 500th home run for a team he got no other hits for wow <laughs> that's tremendous It's one of the greatest questions ever where oh. was i when that happened
3: oh my goodness yeah. No, wow. oh, yeah. no chance. Yeah, no chance.
0: I, I never thought about Gary Sheffield as an answer to that question for yeah. one second. So, sh- shows what a trivia king I am. Um, anyway, one thing we try to do in this segment is use the trivia question to inspire a topic for the show. So, here's what I think we should kick around, Doug. Um, like, I was trying to figure out all right, what active players could join this list? So here, here are five guys currently playing in the big leagues, all homered as teenagers. We'll see what we think the odds are of them also homering in their 40s. Uh, we'll start with Joe Madden's center fitter, Mike Trout. What do you think?
3: Yep. Trout, for sure. Absolutely. So you,
0: it's just a lock? <laughs> like, I, I wouldn't put it past him. I wouldn't put anything past him, but... Uh, is, I mean, you act like, well, of course, he's going to do it. Okay. I don't know, maybe he won't. But he, <laughs> I, 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 good chance. I like the chances. All right, how about Bryce Harper? Yep, two for two. <laughs> oh, really? Yep. Okay. Uh, one thing I know for sure, he will still be getting paid in right. his forties, well, right?
3: They have contracts till they're like sixty-three, I
0: think. So, <laughs> not quite that long. Now, look, he loves to play. I know he'd love to do it. Here'd be my one worry with Bryce. He's gonna have to develop a sense of self-preservation yeah, right. to keep himself on the field. And uh even though he, he almost played every game last year, I'm I'm actually not sure he can play that way for 13 more years. So I'm gonna say no on him. Here's a good one for you. What about Juan Soto?
3: Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, it's discipline. You know, he works the count. You could see Soto evolve as a player to be able to play long time, a long time. I, I just his approach, and uh, yeah, he's and he's got a lot to. You know, he's going to get better at defense, and yeah, I, I, I'm going to say yes. I'm just three for three right here.
0: Yeah. Okay. So there been, let me let me remind you now, there have been four in the history of baseball, <laughs> and we've had three in the last two minutes from you. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. And if you have a okay. cu- if you have a cunha on there, I'm throwing him in there. <laughs> yeah. he didn't sorry, he didn't hit any Homers as a teenager. Oh, okay. But, well, I, I I would agree with you that Juan Soto to me is a lot like trout wouldn't be shocked by anything that guy does over the next two decades. What about Manny Machado? No,
3: nah, I'm gonna say no. I mean, he, it would be like a Sheffield kind of thing maybe at the you know he signs with the Expos in his fortieth year. and uh, but I'm gonna say <laughs> no. I'll say no to Manny. He's going to sign with the Expos? <laughs> right. <That's> a, yeah. <laughs> who knows what's going on in 15 yeah, that's years true. from true. We could have
0: Expos by then. But I, I, I don't see Manny as a guy who wants to play forever. So I'm, I'm with you there. And then the last guy, Justin Upton. What do you think?
3: Uh, Justin Upton? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, for a second, I was like, wait a minute. I, I, no, he's Kate still active. Upton. <laughs> wait, OK. Um, so no. I'm going to say no. Yeah, He's been that, hurt a lot.
0: Uh, he actually hasn't been hurt that much, but he was oh. he was definitely hurt last year. Had a okay. lot of trouble staying on the field. Uh, his, uh and that was his age 31 season. So I'm gonna take <clears throat> I'm gonna take the under on him. Yeah. Either way. Lovely fun you. question. Uh so our thanks to Ellie. Sorry about having so much trouble pronouncing your name, Ellie. <laughs> Great question. Uh all right, uh, hold on one well, second. I'd, well, I, I have
3: ha- a I have a Gary Sheffield story that I could share with our listeners, a brief one. Uh, um, OK, sure, why not? <laughs> since, we're, since he's a <laughs> trivia answer. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I told this. So I, I signed with the Yankees in 2005, and that was my last hurrah. And I got there a, a, about a month early for spring training. So we used to work out on a backfield, and it was Gary Sheffield, Derek Jeter, me, and Bubba Crosby. That was the four of us, kind of a motley crew, right? So we're in the backfield, and I I think in some conversation I mentioned I did real estate or something. I I was messing around real estate. So he asked me this question about building a house. So I was like, okay, so we're talking about that. And he explained that he said he spends a lot of his time in this monster. It was like tens, thousands, whatever square feet it was. And he (laughs) wanted to – he said he spent all his time in the kitchen or the theater, Or something. Okay, so that was the conversation. That's how it goes. So at one point he starts talking about. He's like, I just have a question for you. You know how to save money on groceries? I figured it out. This is how you save money on groceries. So I thought he had some new app or you know it was early technology, and he said the best way to save money on groceries is to hire a chef. I said, (laughs) like, how much does a chef cost a year? It was like eighty three (laughs) thousand dollars. So I was like, okay, I guess, you know, I guess then you do save money on groceries, but you have this other expense of $83,000. So I was like, okay. So that was a, so that was typical of Yankee spring training where everybody's making 20 million a year. Uh, He told me I needed a haircut that same day. He said, give him a call. He'll set it up. He has a place in Tampa. I was like, cool. And when I called him, it took three other people and I never actually spoke to him. It was like a, Secretary connected to an advisor, to a personal assistant, to the <laughs> maitre d' of the haircut salon, and I never spoke to Gary Sheffield, so uh, he was one of a kind. He was straight up. So those are my little Sheffield stories. And, and, and you haven't gotten a haircut since. This is true, as, far I need, as I can tell. I need Gary to like teleport in some you know, from uh, the SpaceX and uh, drop in and it, cut my hair here.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of a Ricky Henderson story. When remember, Ricky went to play in the Atlantic League. Oh yeah! Uh, one of his friends told me his rent w- was more in it more than his salary. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that would have been Gary Schiff in the yes. Atlantic League, for sure. Yes. Uh, okay, now before we go, we actually need to revisit a controversy from last week's Starkville. If you remember over the athletic Philly, Matt Gelb, Megan Montemuro. And mm-hmm. I had a draft of Phillies players from the last 40 years. And the center fielder on my tremendous team mm-hmm. was some guy named Doug Glanville.
3: Mm-hmm. What was Good I choice. thinking? Good choice. But, yeah, excellent. S-
0: excellent. Seemed like a fine pick to me, considering where I was in the draft board. <laughs> but then we had Ruben Amara Jr., the former general manager of the actual Phillies, <laughs> appraise our picks. Uh Now, if you remember correctly, Doug, Ruben loved my team, but what do you remember about Ruben's thoughts about my pick of you?
3: Uh, He hated your center field choice and (laughs) saw a other viable option at his disposal, yes.
0: Yeah, he wasn't that upbeat about me picking you. He actually ripped me for not picking Aaron Rowan over you. So. Since we both have an issue with that, I want to welcome in our surprise guest for this week. At least it's a surprise to Doug. It's Mr. Ruben (laughs) Amaro Jr.
2: (laughs) You guys hear me okay? What's happening? Yeah. What's
0: up, man? (laughs) Ruben, you have an irate Doug Glanville in your hands. (laughs) That's a
2: fine friend of mine. I I want to piss him off. (laughs) You two were
0: actually teammates once upon yes, a time, right?
3: absolutely. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yep. And really then we uh,
2: signed him back there for a year or so. so yes, uh, yes, sir. It, yes, you sir.
0: You did. Now, now, Ruben, um, I'm going to quote your exact <laughs> words in reviewing this pick. You said, where is Aaron Rowand? <laughs> exclamation mark, exclamation mark, question mark, question mark. And then you said, Glanville over Rowand? Question <laughs> mark. <laughs> Am I quoting you That's correctly, exactly sir? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: okay, You quoted me correctly. I knew, I knew something. Right, what was the I problem, knew, there? I, knew I, knew it, I knew I'd get in trouble for that one. All right,
0: all right, yeah.
3: well, no me, disrespect
2: what? to Dougie. Dougie is a heck of a player. Like, no uh, disrespect
3: to Dougie. Yeah, you just hot. totally disrespected him. Yeah, Pouring all kind of hot sauce on there, <laughs> just just seal the wound with like a tiger bite. You know, whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: revisit my options at the time I made this pick. My, I, I was basically down to Aaron Rowan, Gary Maddox, Doug Glanville, Mm-hmm. And you, Ruben Sorry. Amaro Jr. And Ooh. I, you know, I almost came to the conclusion last week that what you really thought I should have done was pick you. You want to confess to
2: that? Absolutely, unequivocally incorrect. Because <laughs> I stunk. I was good for about one week. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a hell
0: of a week. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all, a- right, well, all right. All well, right. All right. You're going to have to explain it now. Why Aaron Rowan over Doug Glanville?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, well, we were just basing them on their, I guess, their one year, best one year. I mean, on one year, uh, Doug, you had over 200 hits that one year, correct? Yes, this is correct. You had, had a heck of a year. I think you had, what, 30 or 40 bags? Yes. Um, I just thought just the total production of the one best year that each guy had with us, with the Phillies, I thought uh, Aaron had a better overall productive year. I mean, he had 27 homers, 80, some 89, 90, ribbies some. I mean, they both were um, very good outfielders, good, solid, um, probably above-average outfielders. But um, but I just thought overall, as far as overall production, I thought Aaron had a better one-year wonder year than, uh, than Doug did. Uh, so I wasn't supposed to take in
0: the totality of Doug's whole career. Right. Uh, okay. <laughs> Aaron Rowan, two years as a Philly. Doug Glanville, six years as a Philly. <laughs> Uh, Aaron Rowan did have the twenty-seven home run season. Doug yeah. did not have one of those. No. Aaron Rowan did have the the, the stellar, legendary broken nose. I yes, I think Doug Good no catch. broken nose is for you, right? No, nope. Yeah, uh, Doug also had the one great year as a Philly, but also five years as a regular, averaged one hundred fifty-one games, eighty-four runs scored, twenty-seven steals, excellent defense. Ruben, how can you not see that I made the right? And I can game? butt. this is I like can butt. you talking to me. 5 years again ago. no and again
2: i mean listen uh, yeah, and you could bud, yes which was a plus um, i think uh, again you know my i maybe i wasn't clear on the criteria but I, I i would have to say i would have to say in the one in the if we're talking about their one best years with the phillies i think that he would i think that uh I don't know other people other people agree that that aaron was a better choice now that said as far as consistency is concerned Maybe Doug is the right choice. I mean, he ended up having a, he ended up having you know a pretty consistent. He was a pretty consistent player for us, Aaron. Um, and it was also, they're both really good leaders. I think one of the things that, um, that that you know I thought about that as well. That piece of it, Aaron was an excellent leader in in so much that he was. Um, I think in a lot of ways he helped <clears throat> both uh, guys like Jimmy Rollins and Chase Utley as they were getting closer and closer to being like championship caliber players. Um, and I think he was a very good, uh, you know, he, he held people accountable. Aaron held a lot of people accountable in the clubhouse, which was pretty special. Uh, Doug was also a really good quality uh, teammate. Um, so that was, to me, that was kind of a push because they're both really, really good in that re- in that regard. But I was basing that more on one, the one season that they, had, that, you know, one best season, each one of them had. And I, I had Aaron over uh, Doug pretty much. Doug, you okay with this?
3: No, what I appreciate 100%. This is a GM we're talking to. So he, I, yeah, you got to yes. keep it real. Don't tell me what I want to hear. I, I appreciate that. Of course, we'll put it on a Twitter poll a little bit later.
2: And, uh, <laughs> well, then, you know, I'm going to get crushed in a Twitter poll. <laughs>
0: there, there is precedent for that. Yes,
3: yes. Precedent for yeah. Yeah. No doubt.
0: Well, Ruben, you were an excellent judge of talent at all the other positions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You loved my team. Appreciate that. So, uh, thank you for that. Yeah, man. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, always great to talk to you. And to remind Doug, he wasn't as awesome as we usually <laughs> were.
2: Absolutely, listen. Yeah. Absolutely happy to be on here and uh, happy to take the hits. I'm good at that. But um, <laughs> don't forget, Gary Maddox had a hell, of a, a hell of a career too. So he had a, he probably has a little bit of a gripe on this one as well.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Wait a second. I was wait, I was saying goodbye, but. All right, we're supposed to include the totality of Gary Maddox's career, yeah. but not the totality of Doug <laughs> career?
2: No, 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 I'm just saying, you know, yeah, if, if we're, we're going to open up for discussion, if we're going to open up for discussion... <laughs> <laughs> you know. all right secretary At, okay. of defense
3: about secretary of defense even so, Doug will, will tell you that he's
2: yeah I think
0: I think secretary. Doug was
3: he was one of Doug's uh idols as well so. yeah he came to my wedding I died uh, Gary up. Maddox yeah, yes yeah. okay we'll
0: add Maddox and Amaro Jr. to the Twitter poll yes
2: <laughs> don't don't don't, do, don't throw Amaro Jr. there because I, I I can't stand that zero no,
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay oh, we got to get Ruben more yeah, than zero votes. The yes. bar is set. We can
3: do this. <laughs> we can do it. We can do it. Re- Ruben, thanks so much, my friend. Yeah, we'll man. Talk say, to hi you soon. To, say hi to the girls from me, the ladies. Uh, appreciate I will, it. Now no, they're ladies your family. <laughs> stay, stay safe. It's good to talk to you guys. Be well. All right, all right, yeah, partner. Pre- appreciate it.
0: it. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of Starkville. Uh, let's remind you again Starkville is now available in its entirety, absolutely free, and absolutely everywhere you get your podcasts. So be sure to subscribe to Starkville on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Tune in pretty much everywhere you find your podcasts. And of course, you can still find us at the Athletic app and the Athletic website. And if you'd like to read our sparkling work or the sparkling work of our other amazing writers, there honestly is no better sports writing being done anywhere than you will find in the Athletic these days. And we're still offering a 90-day free trial. So if you've thought about subscribing, you can try us out free for the next three months. Just go to theathletic.com slash 90 free days. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. You just need to submit a fun baseball trivia question, then we'll get it wrong. But at least we'll use your question to inspire a fun topic of conversation on the podcast. So you can email those questions to starkville at theathletic.com. That's Starkville with an E on the end. Or you can send them in via Twitter. Where would they find, say,
3: Doug Landville? Oh, yeah. I was very creative with my Twitter handle, at Doug Glanville. D O U G G L A N V I L L E.
0: It's like the spelling
3: bee. <laughs> uh, or you can tweet at me at Jason
0: S T. That's Jason with a Y S T. Just remember to hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville Q S. That's Starkville with an E Q S. All right, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Joe Madden for enlightening us as always. Thanks to the evil mayor, Cam, for producing. And thanks to you all for listening. We will see you next week on Starkville.